let's jump into today's message. We're going to kick off a new series um, that I'm excited about uh, because I think it's going to be a, a one that is desperately needed. All right. And so um, it's called One Another. It's going to be a relationship series through the month of February um, because we desperately need to have healthy relationships. And so today I'm going to kind of give the um, paint the, 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 the reason for why. Right. And I'm going to give you some of the what. And then the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the hows. And so uh, relationships are so important in our lives because that's all, all that really matters, right? Uh, if you get the relationships right, everything else works out. And when your relationships are not right, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much pleasure you have. If your relationships aren't right, your life just doesn't work. Um, and this is because God designed it this way, all right? You know, in, um, um, back in, the, in, the, in, the, in 1929, uh, there was uh, uh, the stock market crashed, right? And um, the, the overnight, our country completely shifted and turned. And uh, I've been reading a little bit about that, trying to figure out how people have gone through difficulties to be able to um, not just recover, but also make it through in healthy ways. And so like people who are survivors of Holocaust, survivors of the Great Depression, uh, when we look at those who made it through, it actually teaches us how to maybe approach difficulties in life, like COVID, like elections, things like that, right? So when we face them as difficult, uh, we can look back and say, you know what, people made it through really difficult times, in some cases harder than what we've ever faced, and they made it. Um, others didn't make it. They gave up. Um, and, and overnight, when the stock market crashed, businesses went upside down. Families um, were just rocked to the core, right? And things changed. And one of the things that I, that I, I read is that um, during that, that era, um, there was young men who never owned a new pair of shoes until they enlisted in the Army for World War II. That was the first time they got some new, new shoes. And so um, they, they just, it was a really tough season for our country, and we, and we had to walk through that, right? That, and it taught some people to, one, what I read is, is it taught that generation to really appreciate small things. They didn't overlook the small things. They began to recognize that little things in their life were actually really significant um, and to value that. And one guy said, you know what? He said this was his philosophy from the Great Depression growing up as a kid. He said, um, if, if, as long as you took care of those above you, and he also joined the military, so it kind of comes from this, but if you take care of those above you, take care of those below you, it's going to work out. And he says, as soon as you separate or, or, or um, don't look out for those around you and you're alone, isolate, you die. He says that's essentially what happened in the Great Depression. Those who pulled together, they made it through, and uh, they were able to, to push through hard and difficult times. Um, and those who didn't, they uh, struggled uh, with, with everything they faced. And so in our life, when I think of 2020, right, last year, um, one of the things that, that we haven't really seen is, is um, how, how people are going to have to recover mentally and emotionally and even relationally. Um, right when it first started, they, they used this term that was the worst term they could have used, right? And the heart was to get people to get, get not be so close all the time, right? Physically distance ourselves from others. But they said socially distance ourselves from one another. Um, and so what happens, a lot of people isolated and socially distanced from people that we need. And so people stopped talking to, to their friends. People stopped talking to um, those that could help them in this time, right? And they, they kind of secluded. Um, and anytime you're alone, it's always dangerous because um, you don't have others to give you a, a, the perspective that they see. And sometimes, like I said last week, emotions are like a fog, right? We don't always see clearly when we're feeling things in our life, like feeling down, feeling sad, feeling alone. We don't always see clearly. But when we have others in our life to help us see it, like um, friends and people that can speak in our lives, it, they help us to push through those difficult times. And so we need people, okay? So we're going to go through this series called One Another. Um, I'm going to read in a second the verse that's going to kind of keep the whole series together. Um, but honestly, in the New Testament, I could have picked um, about there's, there's 50, 50 verses that say one another, right? Do something for one another. So really, we could have picked any of those. I think it's almost there's almost one for every single week. If you practiced it, you would actually have healthy relationships. 
I'm going to read it in a second because we were designed for one another, right? But let me give you the, the history of how we get to this idea of why relationships are so important, all right? In Genesis 1, uh, God is, is creating, creating everything, right? So the first day he says, let there be light, and there is light. And it says he saw that it was good, right? And then it says late day two, he, he created the sky, and he said he separated the water, right? And he said, he looked and he said, it is good. And then day three, he creates the, uh, the land and the vegetation, and he looks at it and he says, it is good. And then day four, he creates fish and birds, and he looks at it and says, it is good. And then day five, he creates land animals and creates man, and he looks and he says, it is good. And then at, at the end of the sixth day, he looks back and looks all creation, and he says, it is very good. So it's like this poetry, right, that's in, in motion in the first chapter of Genesis is God is saying it is good. And he creates, and it is good. He does things, and it is good. And every time he creates something, it's a little more advanced and a little more advanced, right? And so he goes from something that I think light is pretty advanced in itself, but there's more, more details to everything he's creating to the point of seed-bearing uh, seeds, right, uh, that, that you, you could plant a seed and it, it grows into something else. And then he creates a, a, an animal and he creates these things and it just gets more and more complicated and more complex. And then he gets to this point in Genesis 1 where he says this. Let me show you what he talks about. He says, and then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Notice this, this word right here, very important, our, right? Who is God talking to? God is community. We, we see in the first, first verse, it says that God was there, right? The, the Trinity was there, right? The Spirit was over the earth. God spoke the word. That's Jesus and God, the, the creator, right? So he's saying, uh, let us make man in our image. So God is community in himself. He understands community, but he's saying, we're going to make man in our image. So he's going to, in, in, in our likeness. So when he creates men and women, he's making us in his image. He's creating us in his likeness, which means he has a, he has a need for community. We have a need for community. And so it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So he gave us these different parts of who he is. But really he made it that we, can, that, that we were made for, for each other, for others, right? And it said that God saw all that he made, and it was, it was very good. It was very good. And then in chapter 2, so after chapter 1, if it is good, is it good, is it good? In chapter 2, verse 18, he says this, The Lord said it is not good. So the first time we see something that's not good is when he sees that Adam is all alone, and he says it's not, a, not good for him to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. I'm going to make a suitable helper for him. And this is where he creates Eve. So remember, the, it gets a little comp- more complex, a little more complicated, everything, right? So it starts with light, and then it goes to separating the sky, separating the earth, a little more complicated, and the seeds and animals, and he makes man, and it gets more and more complex and more and more complicated, and then he makes woman right and so women if you always want to know like why you're so complicated is because you are the you're the top of his creation right just so you know it's a, it's a gift it's so <laughs> he did it's pretty awesome just how god does it he creates and creates and creates and so uh, we're still trying to figure out women ourselves right but we love you guys um but he creates a man he creates women in his likeness and the first time he says it's not good is when adam is alone and it's not because Adam is needy, right? It's not because guys are needy, and sometimes guys could be all by themselves. The problem is when you're all alone, you get in trouble. When you're all alone, you actually can make poor decisions. And when you're all alone, you really don't live to your fullest. But when you have others in your life, you actually have the ability to accomplish more in your life. You know, um, in our world, money and relationships make the world go round. And only one of those will actually make you rich. Money and relationships make the world go round. You take out money, right? We saw this Great Depression. Money crashed. The banks crashed. The world slowed down. But those who had relationships, it kept going. They figured out ways to survive. They figured out ways to keep going. Only those who have only focused on money and that was it, they, they struggled a lot because they thought that was what it was all about. 
You, maybe you've been, been, been to somebody's funeral and they say, that, that lady, she lived a rich life. What were they talking about? It had nothing to do with the money she made, but it had everything with experiences and probably the friendships they had, right? So in our lives, if you want to be, live a rich life, you have to have healthy relationships. You have to learn to have healthy relationships. And it's because God designed us for that. There's something inside of us that we cannot do this by ourselves. And when I look at the elections, when I look at 2020, I see that um, our world has, uh, we're in trouble in the sense that we don't have a lot of healthy relationships in our lives. And that's dangerous because when we get in, in a, um, when we get low, when we get maybe a little depressed, maybe we, get, we struggle with something by ourselves, if we don't open up, um, the enemy comes in, and, and, and the Bible compares him to, to like a, a wolf trying to devour sheep, right? Um, and if you know anything strategy about the, the wolves and, and the different animals trying to eat another animal, the, their prey, they try to isolate the weak, right? They try to isolate them from the herd. And you watch these documentaries, right? And the guy's talking like, oh, here comes the little things. They're going to try to attack. And they're always looking for the one that's kind of off by itself, and they're going to try to isolate. And as long as it's with the mama and the big ones, those, those, those wolves and those lions or whatever trying to attack, they have a hard time getting it. But as soon as they isolate that person, that, that animal by itself, it's easy to devour. The enemy does the same strategy with every one of us. If he can get us isolated and thinking that we're the only one that feels that, it's not true. I'm pretty sure I feel what you feel. That we're the only one that ever goes through this. No, that's not true. That in your marriage, you're the only couple that ever faces these things. That is not true. But as long as soon as he gets you to believe that you are the only one that faces this thing and there's something wrong with you, it's like he's pulling you off to the side so he can devour, so he can have his way. And in our culture, when we socially distance and when we're not connected um, and we only look to, for technology to really fill some of those things, we miss out. So our culture is more – the potential to be connected is greater than ever before, but we're more isolated and alone than ever before because there's a disconnect with a screen and a person, right? It's, it's, not, it's not face-to-face. It's, it's a screen. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's pixels on a screen. Um, and, as, uh, and even though that's a, it's a step to help us maybe learn and grow – it's not, it, doesn't, it can't replace what God created for us for eye contact and for physical touch and for, for closeness, right? So in order for – when we look at relationships and we see that God created us to be alone, to, to be, not to be alone but to be with others, in order for relationships to work, we have to let the one who designed them define them. And for this series, we're going to talk about that. What are the principles that God has for us to be able to have healthy relationships? Because the world doesn't always get it right. Sometimes we get it backwards, and sometimes we miss it. But God says, if, if you'll let me define them for you, because I designed them, you'll actually be healthy, and you'll be, um, you'll, be, you'll be successful in your relationships. So here's a scripture we're going to use for the whole series, right? So you're going to hear this over and over. In Romans 12.10, this is what Paul says. He says, be devoted to one another in love. So you get the one another. Honor one another above yourselves. So two times in this verse, he says one another, right? So one is be devoted, so be committed to one, one another, but then honor one another above yourselves. Um, so, so Paul, in, in, this, in Romans, which is pretty awesome. So Paul, the book of Romans, he's writing a lot of theology, right? Up to this point, uh, it shifts in chapter 12 to relationships. So he's building the, 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 the way we worship God and how, how worship works and, and how, um, how God wants us to, to almost think, right? But then he goes into this the important part of relationships to say, now, here's how you, how you practically live out that relationship with God. So it's not just about knowing. Now it's about action. It's about doing something. And, and in Romans 12, he starts this whole section of relationships, uh, one relationship with God and then relationship with others. And what he says is you have to be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Paul gets it. 
right? Throughout all of his all of the letters he writes, he's always pointing to this idea that when we love one another, when we honor one another, we get what God has invited us into. He 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 leads us into this. Where does he get this from? Well, as as Jesus followers, right? As Christians, we look to Jesus, and where he gets this from is from the last conversation Jesus has with his disciples. How many of you guys know that the last conversation is always really important, right? And, and every time they're going to give whatever that, that, that last bit of information. So Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he knows what's coming. He's about to die. And he spends an evening with his disciples, modeling for them and showing them what, he, what they can expect from the kingdom and how they should live. And he gets to this point um, where he's, he's, he's uh, giving them communion, right? And so communion with, with the cup and, the, and the, the, the juice or the wine and the bread, it's symbolic of what God did for the, for the uh, Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. And they bring them out, right? So for, for every year, for centuries, they had been practicing Passover, right? And so this night, the last night of Jesus' life is Passover. And so he gets the bread, and he breaks the bread, and he gets the cup. And, and, and they think, like, oh, we're going to celebrate Passover. And he says, but guys, I'm going to break this bread. But remember, this, this bread is going to be my body broken for you. I'm about to die on the cross. It's broken for you. This is my, my blood poured out for you. And at that moment, they're thinking, wait, wait. Um, so this is not about Moses anymore. This is not about that. It's something different. And Jesus is trying to show them, okay, so now I'm about to reveal to you the whole reason why I came, right, to help, help people get back to relationship with God, but to show you exactly what you're supposed to do with this. And he goes on, he says this, a new command I give you. In John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. And which at that point, they might have said, well, that's not really new. We've, we've heard that. He probably, he probably would have said, well, I'm not through, right? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new command. And this is not a new command in the sense that I'm going to add this to all the other 613 commands that you've had in the Old Testament. This is a command to show that he's, he's fulfilling everything, right? It's the one command that you have to do to get, get it right. If you get this right, you actually get everything that the Bible talks about right. So the religious people, like lawyers and, and the, the teachers, come to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, what are the, what's the most important command in the Bible? And he says, well, you should love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you fulfill all the, all the scripture. So when Jesus says this new commandment, love one another, essentially he's saying, in fact, those two, they're fulfilled in this one. You can boil all of scripture down just to one command, commandment, love one another. Isn't that awesome that you could, you, like, if you don't know what is, what is the Bible all about, what is God all about, here's the one command. He gives it to him. He says, this is my new commandment. This is what I'm doing. And then, then he, he doesn't finish just loving one another. He says, as I have loved you. So what has he done, right? And he goes on and says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus, um, what has he done? If, he, if he's saying love the way I've loved, well, let's look at his story, right? In this, in this chapter 13, he washes his disciples' feet. That was, not, that was the job of a servant, not the role of a teacher or rabbi or important person. But he washes he takes the the heart. He takes the, the 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 role of a servant to wash his disciples' very dirty feet, because he's showing them this is what the kingdom of God is about. You serve one another. You love one another. You care for one another. And then I'm sure at one point when he says love one another as I've loved you, he might look at Matthew and said, Hey Matthew, remember when I found you? Yes, Jesus. Where were you? Well, I was collecting taxes for the Romans. Essentially, I betrayed my people and I was working for the enemy. And what I how did I treat you, Matthew? You invited me to follow you as my rabbi, right? And I invited you in. And you probably went, you could have went through every single disciple and said, hey, what were you doing, right, at the moment when I invited you? They probably could have said, well, I was off course. I was doing whatever, right? Nathaniel, 
You mocked that anything would would come would would from Nazareth would be good, right? You teased me and you mocked my my hometown and how how did I treat you? Did I mock you back and tease you back? No, no, you invited me to be your disciple. And he would have said, Now go and love people the same way I have loved you. Don't give back to them what they deserve. Don't give back to what they've given to you. Give them better, right? So when he says love one another, and then he says when we do this, everyone will know you're my disciple. So with the flu, with COVID, um, they, they tell us to look for symptoms, right? And the challenge with 2020 was all the symptoms were all over the place, right? One day is this, one day is this. And it's like, well, sometimes for certain people it's this. And like, what are the symptoms, right? Well, in life, we know that symptoms are just the, ex, the, the um, external indications of something that's internal, right? So you get a fever. It's, a, it's external indication that there's something inside, maybe a virus, maybe a bug, right? Something that's bugging, that's bothering your body. And your body is saying there's, it's not right. Something's not right. It's an external symptom of something that's internal. Well, when Jesus says um, love one another, he's essentially saying if you want to know what the symptom is of what it means to be a disciple, this is it. When you love one another, people will know you're my disciple. It's an external sign that internally you're following Jesus. And when you don't love others, it's actually an outward sign that you're actually not a follower of Jesus or you're not getting it right. So we love one another. So he's saying by this, you'll, everybody's going to know. They're going to see this, and they're going to say, ah, that person's different. In fact, the people noticed um, that Christians in, in, their, in, in the early church were different. They had a name for them. It was called the people of the way because they said those people live in such a way that it's, it's undeniable that they're different than everybody else. And they started calling them the way. And that was the first name of Christians was the way because they lived after Jesus. They lived his way, a specific way that it was noticeable and was different. That they didn't treat people like they deserve to be treated. They treated them better. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, learn to do this. So we can say this. Biblical love is the decision to seek the well-being of another. So the definition of biblical love is because when he commands it, right, if, it's, if, it's, if he's commanding love, that means you can actually do what he's asking you to do. It's not emotion. It's um, um, you seek the well-being of somebody else, right? It's a decision that you make. So here's my new command. Go and love others. That means... On a daily basis, love is a decision, right, through, through compassion, through righteousness, that we would seek and pursue the well-being of somebody else. So what does Jesus want us to do? Seek the well-being of others. What does Jesus want to do? Seek the well-being of others, despite the emotions. Because there's going to be times you don't feel like loving somebody, right? Your spouse, your, um, your kids, your boss. There's going to be times you don't feel like it, right? Your parents. And he says, if you'll do this, despite the emotion, you'll actually prove that you're my disciple. Despite if they voted for you or not, voted for voted the same as you or not, right? You love them. And despite the fact that you, he doesn't say you have to like them. He says, love your enemies. Seeking the well-being of another is, is saying, I want them to do well. Even doesn't mean I like them, right? Because people can be jerks sometimes, but we still want to seek the well-being of them. It's not having anything to do with like people. And I think that's where we get hung up is, we think we have to like people that aren't good or like people that aren't like us or like people that are even our enemies. He doesn't say like. He says love, and that's different because like is I'm going to wait to do something good for them when, when, when we're on the same page, when, when we think the same way. And as we wait for that, a lot of us will be waiting forever because some of us will never be on the same page, and that's okay. But he's saying love. Seek the well-being of another. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies, right? Jesus says. So he's telling us it's possible to do this. What he's asking us to do is a decision that we make on a daily basis, despite the emotion, despite um, if they think or they act like us. 
Um, so when they're asking Jesus, what are the most important commandments? He says, love God, love your neighbor. I really don't think you can do this well without loving God first. The first start, the starting point always is saying, God, and, and this is the point of the relationship when he says it's, it's not good for man to be alone. He wants the best parts of life to, to point back to him, back, back to God. When you're alone, you don't have the joy of laughing, right, with, with, with things and enjoying those experiences with others. Uh, you miss out on those things, which po- points to the joy that God gives us, right? So everything in, in, in creation, God is trying to point back to our primary relationship with him. And when we get it wrong is when we actually miss out on what he's wanting to do in our lives. And so he's saying, seek the well-being of another person. You know, in any room, I, I, I love this. Uh, it's a quote from Tom Barnett, who's a pastor in Phoenix for years. Um, he says this, the happiest person in any room is the person who is living their life for others. If you want to know who the happiest person in any single room, look for the person who is devoted and living their life to serve others, to help others. Tom Barnett, uh, he started this this um, um, this ministry that reaches the poorest of the poor in his city. Now it's, it's around the world. Um, they, they've started all around the world, uh, kind of like, like Mother Teresa in a sense, right? He was going after the poor. He was going after those who would never be able to pay him back for anything. And he spent his life serving them. And so when he says the happiest person in the room is the person who's serving others, giving his life for others, he understood that because he was doing that. He understood Jesus in, in, the, in the moment, in, the, in any, any environment. He was probably the happiest person in that room because he was serving others. We're, our purpose is we're made for that. We're made for a relationship. We're made to, uh, to use our lives to help others. And, and here's the hesitation. Everybody thinks this. Well, if I love others, right, like, like, like uh, Paul said, uh, above myself and better than myself, then I'm just going to get stepped on. No, no, here's the difference. God is the one who's actually keeping score, not that person. And the moment you start keeping score with somebody else, like, well, they owe me because I did this, you're no longer loving them for their benefit. You're loving them for your benefit. And God says, don't love that way. Love them despite what they do to you. Love them despite what they think or what they, how they, what they say. Love them the way I love you. And how do I, how did he love us? He gave his life on the cross for you and me. That's how much he loved us. I want to, I mean, he gave his life. He says, now go and love others the same way. Love them. Don't keep score. As soon as you do that, you, you miss the point. Let God keep score. And you know what, what God does when he keeps score? He makes sure that score multiplies. He makes sure he gives you back more than you've done. That's his promise. He says, I'll take care of you. And he does it in amazing ways. It's just, it's really, when we live his way and love others the way he wants us to, he changes us. Let me tell you the story about uh, this man uh, named Charles Greenaway. I was reading this book um, from this missionary named Dick Foth. And he was telling this story about um, his friend that he met in the 60s, 1960s, um, named Charles Greenaway, who was a missionary to Africa and Europe. Um, and in this book, um, he, he talks about how his friend, they had a really good relationship ongoing. And over the years, his friend would always make this statement, right? Um, his statement was, was, was uh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And so one day, after years and years of, of, of having a relationship, he says, uh, Charles, when did you start saying this statement, I'm going to make it? And he says, well, I say I'm going to make it. Not going to look like much when I get there, but I'm going to make it. And he says, well, let me tell you the story. After years of being friends, he says, uh, let me, let me uh, tell you where this story comes from. He says, you see, um, I was brought up in the coal fields of Pennsylvania during the Depression. They were terrible times. And, and this, this man Charles said families were large and poor, and sometimes children would have, have to be sent to state-run, home or, state-run orphanages because their family couldn't handle one more mouth to feed. And he says, uh, I'll not forget the day that my daddy died. He was laid on the table uh, in our small house. 
I was just a little guy. I did my uh, my brothers and sisters stood by the table with my mom. And he says something happened over the next year, right? So his dad dies. and his, Over that next year, his mom says, you know what? Um, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And he says something happened. I don't know what, but one day um, my mom stepped me down and said, Charles, I'm so sorry, but you're going to need to go to a home for a while. And she says, I'll come and get you as soon as I can. Um, he says, I didn't hear anything else that she said. I didn't hear anything else that she said at that point. Um, she said, Char- Charlie, don't worry. We're going we're to stay together, right? And then, and then uh, after that year, she, she comes back to him and says, um, um, we're gonna have to stay. after she says this to him, he's, he's thinking it's going to be okay. My dad's dead, but it's going to be okay. But then she comes and says, we're going to send you away. And he says, I didn't hear anything else at that moment when she said that. The birds stopped singing. The band stopped playing. The lights just went out. And he says he remembers as a kid the emotions of just the struggle of that moment of saying, wow, I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be left. They're going to send me away. And, and, he, and it says he just, he just closed down. And then he says, and then I'll never forget the day that the man from the orphanage came to get me. He says he pulled up in a black Ford T model, um, Model T, and he wore a bowler hat and a big cigar clenched in his teeth. He says, I was hiding in the corner of the house uh, when he stepped into the little front yard. He just stood there and said, well, where is he? Like I was a side of meat or something. And he says, my knees begin to knock. They began to knock together, and I came out from a hiding place, and I went and stood in front of him, scared to death as a little boy. And he says, the next thing I knew, I felt the warmth of my mother's body next to me. And as her arms slipped around my shoulders um, in and, and, and a forced uh, hug, she said, she looked in my eyes, and, and she looked at his eyes and said, Mr., I've changed my mind. Charlie ain't going. We're going to make it. And he says, the next thing I knew is the lights came on, the birds started singing, and the band started playing. It was the greatest day of my life. When I read this story, my heart just like it broke, right? Um, Because here's a little boy going through something very difficult. And when the emotions got too much, he had to just turn off everything. Because he thought he was going to be alone. He thought he was going to be abandoned. He didn't know what the future was going to hold. Because we're all like that in some ways. We're made for relationships. But if his friend would have never asked the question, Charlie, when did you start saying that? He'd never learn the story. And there's people all around us who are going through difficult things. And you don't understand somebody's journey. You don't understand somebody's story. We have to be kind. We have to know that there's something that could be going on in their life that we don't understand. But maybe we could be that person that says, hey, tell me a little bit more. And in the series, one of the things that we're going to teach is if you'll ask questions, right? And I'm not saying just don't ask yes or no questions. Do you like pizza? That's not, that's not a good question. What do you like about pizza is a better question because they're forced to actually say something. And when I read this story, um, I realized that um, in our lives, um, when we have people that care for us and love for us, we can get through most difficult things. The reason it was the greatest day of his life is because he knew his mom's going to fight for him and say, we're going to figure it out, whatever it takes. We're going to figure this out. You're not alone. We're going to do this together. This is the same, same guy that said, if you protect the person above you, you'll protect the person below you. Stay loyal to those around you. You'll make it through. And if you're not loyal, you find yourself alone, isolated, and dead eventually. Just don't do that. Don't isolate. Find people around you. In fact, I would say this, especially young people. The people you choose in your life, the friends, the, the, um, the mentors, the voices in your life, right? That could be through social media. That could be through YouTube. The people you listen to are more important than you realize because you'll become like them. 
The friends that we pick, they determine the course of our life and the quality of our life. So we have to pick people well. We have to ask God to pick people well. And then here's the flip side of that. Then God says, you go and be the right person for other people. Because there are little Charlies out there who are struggling and who, are, who are, can't find. They, they don't know up and down. And they don't know what they're doing. And God says, would you go love those people? Would you go take care of them? This is why as a church, we're always looking for, for to partner with missionaries and compassionate ministries. Because we know we can reach the next generation. We can reach kids. If we can support, if we can get them out of poverty, they have a chance. Somebody comes alongside and says, hey, you're not alone. We're here to support you. We're here to help you. We're here to help others on this journey. But here's my, here's my challenge. Would you open yourself up to relationships, the right relationships? And I would say start with God. But make sure you choose people in your life that will encourage you, that will help you. Right? When I'm feeling down, um, when, so what's interesting about, my, about sincerity and I, sincerity is going to teach me next week. It's going to be fun. Make sure you're here for that. Um, for Valentine's Day, right? And we have a little uh, session together. It'd be good. So typically when Sincerity and I, um, when we're going through something, like if she's down, I'm typically up. Um, and then every now and then I'll be down and she's typically up, right? I don't know what what, the, what, is it, what is about that. I guess the gift that God gives us to kind of balance each other out. Every now and then, though, we're both down. And what we do when we're both down, you know what we do? We call some friends up and say, hey, can we just hang out? We don't tell them we're down. We don't be like, hey, we're really, de- we're really sad right now. We just need you guys to you know, suffer with us. We don't tell them anything. We just say, hey, can we come hang out with you? And typically we have a, a few friends that we know if we go, to, go hang out with them, eat dinner, cook some dinner, hang out with them, we're going to laugh, right? And we know that we're going to just tell stories and we're going to laugh and we're going to laugh. And every single time, I promise, we're both down, make calls, say, hey, can we hang out with you? We go hang out with them, we play games, we laugh and laugh and laugh. And then on the way home, you know what we think we, we do? We just say, I feel so much better, right? It's like they have the, the, our friends and the relationships around us have the ability to pull us out of the darkness, out of the messes that we get ourselves into. They have the ability to say, hey, you're not alone. I'm with you. Let's keep fighting. You're not in this alone. You don't have to struggle alone. Reach out. Love others. So what did Paul say? Let's love one another. What did Jesus say? My new commandment, right? This is the one to replace all other commandments. It's the one that says if you get this right, you get everything else right. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must. And he commands it. You must love one another. If you're a Jesus follower, he's asking us. He's saying if, if you want to follow me, this is what you do. You love one another the same way he loved us. It's intentionality. It's us saying I want to make a difference in this world. Now imagine with me in our, in our city, in, in your family, in our lives this week if we live this out. What would it look like? You know, we know what Santa Fe's will start saying if Christians started living this way. They say, wow, I wish we had more churches in Santa Fe. I don't hear that all the time. Usually it's like, we need another church? Yes, we need a lot of churches because there's a lot of people who are needing God. But until we start living this out, we won't start hearing that. You know, those people you can turn to the most, those people follow Jesus. When we live this out, our families get better, the workplace gets better, our cities get better. Why? Because God is the one who starts keeping score. He's the one who starts doing things in our lives. Us saying, God, I want to live like you live. I want to sacrifice. I want to give my life like you gave your life. So I can help others to have a better way. To add value. To love others. To care for others. To help others. So, Paul says, let's love one another. It's a choice. So, for, for all of us in this room, the starting point is always saying, God, let me make sure I get my relationship with you right first. And then when I begin to work on this, you're going to help me to love others. Go to God first, and then we go to others. James says, 
We get forgiveness from God, but we get healing from people around us. When we're sick, when we're emotionally sick, mentally sick, if we'll go to others and just tell them, hey, this is what's going on, that sickness in our, in our mind and in our, in our emotions actually gets weakened, and we're able to get through it because we're letting people in. Best thing we can do. Thank God. Let me help, help. Give me the right people around me to help me get to those times, and then help me to be the right person to others around us. To be fair, would you close your eyes and bow your head today? So the what, the why is so important. Loving others, having healthy relationships is so so needed. But for some of us in this room, maybe you would uh, be brave enough to say, you know what, today I need a new start. My relationships are not healthy. Specifically, my relationship with God is not healthy. And today I want to just invite him to lead me. Today I want to give my life to follow him. One of the reasons Charlie made it was because as a Jesus follower, he sensed that call in his life to pursue God and help others. He's known around the world for helping others to know that they would serve and give their life to God and make a difference. In, in, in this room today, maybe uh, as you go through and you're going to pray this prayer with me in a second, I believe God would just say, I want to use your life in great ways. I want to use your the way you're made, specifically the way who you are, to, to impact others. Today, if you're here and you would like to say, you know what, I need I need a healthy relationship with God. I need my relationship with God to start right. I need to start over. I need to start today. If that's you and you'd be brave enough to lift your hand, I'm not going to call you to the front, but just right there in your seat, would you say that's me today? I want to invite God into my life. I have a healthy relationship with God. In this room, let's say that. All right, I'm going to say a prayer for you guys that are here today. God, thank you so much for, for the example you gave us, Father God, of serving, of loving, of giving your, your life on that cross. God, it's not an easy call for us to, as you call us to follow you, to love our enemies, to love those who persecute us, to pray for those, that God, who want to destroy and want to hurt. God, it's not always easy for us to love those who maybe upset us, God. But God, we don't look at our emotions. We don't look at our issues, God. We look to you as the example. And we say, help us to do it despite what goes on in our lives. That we'd seek the well-being of others. That we'd want the best for them. We do our part, Father God, to serve them. Lord, I pray that those in this room today, as some maybe have relationships that are rocky with others, some that have relationships that are strained with, with uh, their family, their friends, God, I pray that you'd bring uh, just reconciliation and healing there. God, for those in this room, when they find themselves off course, they would turn back to you and trust you. Father God, that uh, you would help us, Father God, to be healthy in every area of our life. Lord God, relationships with things, relationships with those in authority, our bosses, our parents, teachers, our spouses, Father God, our kids, neighbors, God, the strangers. We invite this month, Lord God, to be a month that we would get healthy and we would choose to follow the example you've given us, Father. Thank you for today. We love you. We bless you.